Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. It is mini-pod time. Mini-pod is a specific focus on sports viewership. And we have uh, one of the flagship people who is part of this uh, mini-podcast series, and that is Austin Karp, managing editor slash digital for Sports Business Journal. And he is on solo today. Austin, welcome back to uh, the mini-pod. I love the mini-pod, Richard. You are you are one of the intangibles. You're like uh, if it's Ocean's Eleven, you're either Clooney or Pitt. You can sort of pick which one, or Damon. You can pick. Oh, I love that. No, no, we're sticking with Pitt or Clooney here. Come on. All right, there you go. All right, so I mean, there's a lot. Actually, there's been a lot of me of viewership news this week. I mean, I hate to do this because (laughs) I know that people just are like, "What are you enough?" But hey, like I got to start with college football, and I have to start once again with Colorado before we get to the NFL. You know, so I wrote about this, and I know you wrote about this. And heading into this, these games, uh, Colorado, um, boy, I, I, I have mispronounced, uh, according to some uh, listeners, Oregon. How do I pronounce that, Austin? Oregon, Oregon. I thought it was Oregon, like Oregon Trail. Oregon, like that's yeah. Okay, I'm gonna do that. I I apologize. It's an amazing state, so I I've been to Portland, which is a great city, so I apologize. So Oregon, uh, I'll do my best for that. So. You have the Colorado game, and then obviously you have Ohio State, Notre Dame. If you had talked to me in Austin Carp like a couple years ago, and you would have said like, "What game will draw a bigger viewership?" Like we would have looked at you with like three heads. Ohio State is, in my opinion, the top viewership team in college football. I know Alabama's had that for a long time, and Ohio State maybe was sort of two. But I think if you look at the last couple of years, Austin, to me, if I was going to pick like a guaranteed money. Uh, viewership team, I would pick Ohio State. And Notre Dame is still a top five, top six national viewership team, even when they're up and down and they happen to be up this year. So this is my long-winded way of saying, like, in another time, in another universe, if you would have said what game would have done better, it'd be like, it wouldn't even have been close. But we are not in another universe. We are in the Deion Sanders universe. And so the Colorado game draws, at least based on Nielsen, uh, 10.03 million viewers on ABC. Ohio State and Notre Dame, based only on Nielsen on the TV stuff, 9.98 million. When you add this streaming stuff in, the Ohio State Notre Dame game did top it a little by by a little bit. A little bit. Uh, I think right. So those those numbers I think finished like 10.6 million, and then the Colorado game was a little bit less. But Austin, the fact that this thing was 
like that close, it just goes to show you that like you may like Deion Sanders, you may not like Deion Sanders, but the audience and the interest is there. How did you read this one? I mean, absolutely. This is Deion Sanders, what he has done for that team, what he has done for that brand. Nobody watched Colorado for the last 20 years. They, they were just a non-factor on TV. They, their games were either on Pac-12 networks or late at night. Or you, just, you just couldn't – they weren't really a draw at all. Now these first couple games, they started winning. They beat TCU to start. And, yeah, like Fox wanted them in their marquee window. And now you saw ABC ESPN want to put them in a marquee window. And even with that drubbing, it was a, and it was a drubbing, it was still able to draw close to what Ohio State Notre Dame drew a close game, which was NBC's best regular season game in around 30 years. So to have that appeal and, and viewers stuck with it, they had close to 8 million viewers there even in the last quarter hour. That's a very impressive number for a blowout. So I don't know if you're going to maybe you'll see Colorado continue to be in some of these marquee windows that Fox or ESPN have. But they're not going away. They're still going to be in noticeable windows, Colorado, for the rest of this season and I imagine beyond. What do you expect from Colorado USC in terms of a viewership number? I expect it's still going to be strong. I think you they do, they do still have a little bit left in the tank. Can Are they for, for real at all? Or if this turns into another 62-3 to three game, yeah, I, I don't know if viewers are going to stick around as long as they did for the Oregon game. But I, I, don't, I think it's going to be much closer than Oregon-Colorado was. The thing that was interesting to me about uh, college football this past week, uh, and this was Mike Mulvihill, um, Fox Sports' uh, vice president of strategy, analytics, et cetera. He put out a tweet where he said, over 20 million people across all networks are watching college football in prime time on Saturday night, with Ohio State Notre Dame obviously leading the way. A rare instance mm-hmm. of more people watching football on Saturday night than Sunday night. That that that's really struck me. Like that was pretty kind of remarkable mm-hmm. observation. What are you seeing in sort of broad trends from college football this year? And I would think like Colorado probably has helped raise all boats, right? Because you, you're just you're yeah. getting this team that was not expected to be this juggernaut come in and just put up numbers that we've only previously seen from like the Alabamas and the Ohio States. It's proven to be a boom because normally when you look at some of the most viewed games of the season. You get some of those early, you know, out-of-conference games, big matchups, week one, and then maybe you might have a strong SEC matchup middle of the season, but then the biggest numbers come from what? From rivalry week, and then Army-Navy. So to have, like, a, you know, Colorado-Colorado State, you know, in week three or week two, getting into that mix for what's going to be the most watched games of the season, yeah, I think it is kind of a rising tide for the attention of college football and bringing more eyeballs to the sport. But you, you talk about Saturday night, it was kind of a unicorn situation. You had all four broadcast networks, and a lot of this has to do with that new Big Ten deal. All four broadcast networks showing games in prime time. You have this new deal on the CW. So, you know, I'll admit my Georgia Tech Wake Forest game didn't bring a ton of numbers, but it brought some numbers over, you know, half a million viewers or so. Then you, you factor in the rest of the ESPN, ESPN2, FS1, everybody had a game in primetime. So you take the aggregate of that, and yes, you're talking about an audience that was on par with what the NFL on Sunday night had. Right, and the, the reality is NBC's not getting this game again. And that, you know, the, you're not going to get a 10 million viewership game, um, you know, just given the fact that it's, there's only a couple teams, I think, in the country that can put that up. So one last thing on college football before we move to the NFL. Um, if Alabama struggles and for and struggle for Alabama maybe like 
two losses or three losses. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think that impacts the viewership later on in this season? Because the one thing that college football is always counted on, and particularly obviously CBS in that three thirty window, was that you know if you had Alabama in a game of the, uh, like a meaningful game, you you were going to put up significant viewership. And depending on the opponent, it, it could be double. You know, it could be a ten million plus viewership, but. I'm kind of interested in that this year because they're, you know, they're a little bit down and they also mm-hmm. kind of like the star power of previous Alabama teams. And that's interesting to me. Like the corollary would be like if the Cowboys were like two and 14 or something like that. No, they don't have that Bryce Young to start. They don't have that, you know, Heisman potential running back that you can count on to be a draw. And yeah, the team is not undefeated and it's going to impact you know, what that Alabama LSU game traditionally might have gotten. You've seen that in a, in the last couple of years where if it didn't have the the consequence that maybe it had in past years, it doesn't draw as big a number. And it, it maybe didn't get moved to prime time like CBS would do when they were both undefeated. And it, it would draw, you know, like you said, well north of 10 million viewers. Uh, is CBS even going to want that game? Is that going to be the game of the week? What if Georgia has something that's a little more consequential toward, you know, their third straight national championship? No, I mean, Alabama's still a draw. I think, like, you know, Colorado losing, Dion is still going to be a draw. If Alabama has two losses, Alabama is still going to be one of the most desired football programs among these college broadcasters. But I don't think you're going to get that huge number maybe that you anticipated in previous years. Yeah, the only thing I was just going to say there is, like, you know, Georgia going for a three-peat. It's just kind of interesting in the one, like, will people have some Georgia fatigue? Like, the way, like, it seemed like NASCAR. I think there is for sure. Especially if they start killing people again, like they did with TCU, you saw it with the national championship numbers, one of the lowest, if not the lowest yet. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, it's interesting. Like di- dynasties can play, but you do have to have sort of the right kind of dynasty. So we'll see how that works. Tougher in college, tougher in college for sure, for sure. Yeah, let's move on to the NFL. There's a couple things that sort of were interesting and notable. I know you wrote about Amazon's numbers. Um, Giants 49ers game, um, thirteen point nine million viewers. I think that's the Nielsen only one. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, their numbers, obviously their numbers are going to be uh, boosted up a little bit more when it comes to um, you know, additional stuff. But like, um, I don't know if you have it in front of you, but Amazon, I think, is has to be overjoyed, right, by their Thursday night start this year. I mean, absolutely. I think Amazon and the NFL, the first two games that they've had on Thursday night football this season, were more watched than anything that they put up last season, including the debut with that Chargers Chiefs game that started the whole thing off. Okay. It shows that viewers are changing their habits to be there on Thursday nights. They know they got to go to prime video to watch Thursday night football. And you're seeing that even with a game like giants 49ers and the 49ers pretty much had that under control. Most of the time it, it, the audience is growing. It's showing that streaming can compete. It's strong numbers that are equivalent to some of these single headers and regional action that you're seeing on Fox or CBS on a Sunday afternoon. And that's strong because what we saw last season was the Thursday night football audience compared to what Fox NFL network had in 2021 fell off the map, almost lost almost half the audience. So they're going to be slowly gaining that back. Is the Thursday night audience going to be what you were getting on Fox, CBS, NBC, whatever, whoever, whoever had that package for years? No, it's not going to be there yet, but it's showing that you can grow it. It can slowly develop back to what was a strong Thursday night number. The, you know, I think, I, I'm curious about if you agree with me on this, I think one of the reasons for at least a little bit of the viewership pop for Amazon, or at least the jump, is that in year two, 
the marketing aspect of like the games are on Amazon and here's like where you have to go to watch the games. Like there's some education now from Mm -hmm. the audience. And I don't, you know, one of the things that Amazon had to do last year on top of proof of concept was I think they just had to educate people like here's where Thursday Night Football is. It's not Mm -hmm. on Fox anymore. It's not on your conventional TV. And I think just maybe from education alone, Austin, maybe there's just like a couple hundred thousand people who just happen to now know that, okay, here is where this game is on Thursday. And, oh, I happen to have Amazon Prime already, so I'm going to check it out. You know what I mean? I feel like – You just know. The, you know in the back of your head that Thursday exactly. night's on Amazon. Like you said, uh, th- there's a lot. there was a lot more education that went on. People just know it's there now. And I think that's – it's like that with almost any property that is switching you know, media partners. Uh, it's a little easier when you're switching media partners that are just you know one above the other on the dial. This was a, a different animal going from – I guess what is traditional broadcast network TV to a strictly streaming platform. But people are smart. Consumers are smart. This is 2023. Everyone's got a streaming package of some sort. So I don't think that it was a big switch, but people are finding it. They're finding it in bigger numbers. And I was incredibly impressed by the first two weeks of numbers, especially because these are like we you mentioned at the beginning. These are just those Nielsen numbers that Amazon is subscribing to. Not, I mean, there was a lot of talk at the beginning before the season about weaving in some of these first party numbers. There was a lot of pushback from other network partners. So they kind of killed that plan for right now. Now, these are the same sorts of numbers that you're seeing for Fox, that you're seeing for NBC, that you're seeing for CBS. And it's it's impressive. It just is. What you, this is something that you put out. CBS just wrapped up its best September of NFL coverage in 13 years, averaging 8.7 million viewers after three weeks. Why is CBS at such a good September? I think that Pat's Jets game proved to be a little more competitive. That was nice in that single header. That, that was big. That was really big for them. Uh, I think you'll start to see uh, fewer Jets games now on those airwaves with Aaron Rodgers out. Uh, I think that's a big blow for them. I think they were able to take advantage of it during this first month. I think Jets fans were kind of excited, but man, they, they're, they're going to be in for a rough go now. And I, I want to see how CBS does the rest of the season going forward. The... um. You saw the numbers for the Monday Night Football experiment, um, and that basically was two games, obviously, at the same time. But not just two games at the same time, but they they flipped the starting times. Like one week, ESPN had the early start time, 7.15, and then the next week, ABC had the early start time, or or it was vice versa. Um, I would say looking at those numbers, you know, the, the ESPN was smart in terms of putting out a number, Austin, sort of like, here's where we were. When yeah. both games, you know, like the two-hour window where both games were on, you know, we're averaging 22 million or whatever like that. Obviously, the each game average is going to be lower. But given the opponents and given everything else, I feel like it's probably a success for Monday Night Football. The only thing I would say is at least, and this is just very anecdotal and hearing from people on social media, they're like, you know, this is annoying. Like, why do we have to have two games? I don't want to have to choose. And I get that. Like, I respect that. But I would just sort of say like, well, you have to choose every Sunday, right? Yeah. Like the seven games. So, yeah, it's not really that new. I think what's new, and I get this part, is just it's like new for Monday night, like where you're only used to yes. one game. But I think if you're the NFL and you're ESPN, I think you got to be happy because you got a lot of attention for these games. And that's why they're doing it. I think they're sacrificing what would be the you know the traditional metric of the average viewership to have this Monday takeover, like Fox and like CBS do or especially early on in the Sunday afternoon windows. They want that. They want to own Monday night. And they know that there isn't much in terms of broadcast or even cable TV 
scripted competition anymore. So like the hell with it. We're just going to own Monday night. It's our night. We're going to do these multicasts, whatever you want to call it, ESPN, ESPN2, ABC. We own the airwaves. Monday Night Football owns all of television now, Monday night. And I think that's the approach that they're taking. And I, I think it's still kind of working. Uh, like you said, those overlap numbers that they're given for whatever the two hours or so where the games overlap, that's an incredibly strong number for television these days. Uh, it does I mean, it does hurt the individual games overall, but I, I think that they're willing to sacrifice just seeing where the tea leaves are on how consumption patterns are going to be. Last one. Obviously, Bears-Chiefs was a blowout. Uh it got a lot of attention, obviously, because Taylor Swift was at that game, and and mm-hmm. you know, rightly so. I mean, talking about the most, arguably one of the most famous people in the world, uh, is at the Chiefs game. And the one thing about viewership wise that was interesting about that. Now that game also was in the Cowboys Cardinals window, mm-hmm. so whatever you see from the viewership of that game, it's not really Chiefs Bears per se. A lot of it's Cowboys Cardinals too. It was like sixty percent, sixty seven percent of markets got Bears Chiefs, thirty three percent of markets got Cowboys Cards. Okay, so there you go. So it's still the majority. That although they did t- correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't at some point of that game didn't they kick out of a lot of markets uh, for Bears Chiefs because it was a blowout? They probably did. They probably switched over, but before going in, that w- it was a sixty-seven thirty-three split or so. Okay, going in. Okay, so two-thirds, one-third. Okay, all right. So I, I sort of take back my sort of intro at least a little bit there. The one thing that was interesting to me about viewership-wise, and Fox was very smart to put this out, was did you happen to see the numbers? Um, that they put out for female viewership of that window, you know, from females mm-hmm. two and older, females 12 to 17, females 18 to 35. Like, the, I know, like, it's kind of amusing to sort of, like, think about, but there really was, like, a legitimate sample of people, I'm sorry, sample of women who watched that game because they became aware that Taylor Swift was part of that game. Yeah, it became a TMZ type of moment. And you, the, the I think the increases were more pronounced on social media followings and jersey sales 100%. and things like that. You know, the the metrics that are outside the TV window, because I mean, let's be honest, that national window for that Fox had was down 8% from the same window in week three last year. So it's not like there was this incredible boost for that window. And like you said, it was a Chiefs blowout. Some of the markets may have switched. People may have just, you know, stopped watching at that point. It's, it's 425, been watching football all day. No need to necessarily watch a blowout. Uh, so the traditional TV metric was down. But yeah, they were able to grow female viewership a lot, which is something the NFL always likes to add. And the social media stuff is just through the roof for them. So through the roof. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it's, you're, you didn't really need another reason to watch Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, but the NFL t- will take whatever viewers they can get. And it, it's nice to see. Yeah, and I think the NFL is actually, they've been trying to get Taylor Swift to do halftime for a long time. So they'll, you know, they'll take what they want. And you are correct. It definitely much more of, I think, a social media phenomenon. And, uh, you know, listen, good on Fox. Like you, you, I know there's going to be a lot of like, uh, you know, whatever old school types, like don't show Taylor Swift on the suites. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you insane? It's like the most famous person in the world who's at a Chiefs game. Of course, yeah. you're going to put her as part Would of the NFL the- have liked her to maybe be dating, I don't know, Trevor Lawrence, so they can put the Jaguars more in national windows. <laughs> yeah, maybe that would have been a bigger help. It's very, uh, it's very, great, but uh, <laughs> no, deep, she's, deep. She's, uh, she's not dating anybody from the Jags or the Cardinals or another market that's never going to get a national window. Deep in the Brian Rollup, uh, you know, like uh, lab there to to try to connect Taylor with a with a with, <laughs> with a team that you need better uh, viewership. That's the deepest I mean, listen, of uh, conspiracy theories. Yeah, yeah. Well, if that's the case, I mean, you know, send every pop star to the Cowboys and just keep rolling. 
Let's finish up with um, MLB viewership. You wrote a piece for the sports business. Uh, was it Journal or Daily that you wrote up some thoughts? We're on all Daily. one family here now. It's just SBJ. All right, SBJ. So, um, like you, given how great the 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 pitch clock change has been, and I and absolutely you know praise Rob Manfred and the rest of those cats uh, for this. It's one of the great sports changes in my lifetime. Like you, I would have thought that would have resulted in major league viewership numbers just going through the roof because the games are so much more digestible mm-hmm. to watch. But that has not been the case. Per no. Austin Carp, Sunday Night Baseball viewership is essentially flat with last year at 1.5 million viewers. This was pretty stunning to me, Austin. ESPN2's K-Rod alternative telecast is down 30% to yep. 138,000 viewers. Again, K-Rod telecast was never going to get big numbers. No no alternative telecast for baseball is getting big numbers, but that is a huge drop. Fox Sports posted a 5% viewership increase on Fox and FS1, uh, as you say, primarily driven by moving several games from its cable channel to broadcast network, which you can always get a little bit of the pop. Again, I, I realize maybe this is me just uh, uh, using my uh, you know half-pea brain to come up with a reason, but is it as simple as the Yankees and Red Sox uh, struggling this year? I think so. That is still the marquee draw, and you only had two of those games. You look back over the last decade or so, ESPN always is popping four of those games onto Sunday night baseball. And viewers complain, oh my God, it's Yankees, Red Sox all the time. Well, there's only one game that's going to draw over 2 million viewers on Sunday night baseball, and that's the matchup. This was the first time I can that I was able to recall, from my records at least, that no Sunday night baseball game topped 2 million viewers. That includes the two Yankees-Red Sox games that were on. And it just shows like when they're down, the package is going to struggle. But, um, I mean, another thing to remember is that baseball is regional. It's tribal. And these national games probably only account for around 13 14% of what MLB fans are viewing during the course of a season. That's other 87% or so occurs on the regional sports networks. And those were probably, you know, across the board, probably flat this season. So, I mean, is it, you know, the game has great stories, you know, like in yeah. terms of like, like Ronald Acuna has had like, you know, one of these most incredible years, obviously before he got hurt, Otani is basically must watch. So I, like, I, and I don't know the answer for this, like, I, and maybe there is no answer, mm-hmm. but ha- is there any way for the sport heading forward to sort of protect the possibility of the Red Sox and Yankees struggling? Cause like, it's not a sustainable national model to only have two teams or one game that could deliver you ratings. You know, I know that there are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you would know this a million times better than me. Like maybe the Dodgers occasionally pop or, you know, maybe uh, I'm trying to think of another sort of, you know, na- or, you know, or if you get like some kind of situation where there's like, um, you know, there's well, a the, record. The Padres, we're, we're getting a lot of love early in the season. Yeah. They, yeah. They or like, you know, like the players. I, yeah. There's a home run record chase or something like that. I think people are going to be interested in, but like that's one issue with baseball that obviously the NFL doesn't have, and I would almost argue the NBA sort of doesn't really have either, is because they do have some, they have multiple glamour teams. But like, what yeah. do you do if you're MLB if these two teams that have driven your? Na- I'm not talking about regional viewership, which is good. Mm-hmm. What, these two teams have driven your national viewership forever. Like, what happens? What happens if they go into a down cycle? What What do you do? I think. They kind of are in a down. I think you saw that they were a little bit of a downside in a little bit of a down cycle with these last media rights deals in that 
no one really wanted those midweek games. So, I mean, outside of the playoffs, you know, baseball is a tough sell during the regular season in terms of a national broadcast property. The numbers aren't bad, but like you said, there's only a handful of teams, and that's just, you know, based on tradition, your Red Sox, your Yankees, your Dodgers, your Braves. I mean, outside of that, it's just a tougher sell. The Orioles are not, you know, I love my Orioles, but they're just not going to be a big draw national. Not yet. Yeah, no, not yet. It's not I, there the, yet. Yeah, if they win a world, I mean, they're, I, you know, I, I, having watched uh, every Blue Jays game basically this year, you know, I see a ton of the Orioles. They are, I love watching them. They're a fun team. But the, I don't think the north, um, you know, uh, west of the Mississippi, <laughs> I don't know how many people can name their lineup. Like, they got to get to the playoffs. No. Um, but then here's the other thing. Like, I look at the, I look at the playoff picture this year, okay? And I, I don't know if I could come, like, do you see a, do you see a matchup right now that would deliver big ratings for Fox? Uh, yeah, Dodgers Braves. Um, <laughs> uh, that, that would be the. I was just gonna say that's the one. That's the that to me is the best possibility. Uh, but the problem is that's not a World Series, of course. No, uh, I mean I guess that that's an NLCS situation, and then in the World Series though. If you have the Orioles or the Rays in there, that's um, that's a really Astros, tough call. Blue Jays, Orioles, Rays, Twins. Astros, Dodgers would deliver. Astros, Braves would deliver. You think you really? Think you think Astros, Dodgers would really deliver? I think it would do okay because I think people are really. It is a cheer against the Astros situation. Maybe, maybe. I w- and I would think it's more of like people are just into like the Dodgers because they're a historic team and they'd like to see them. Um, they'd like to see them win. I, yeah, I wonder. I you do you. We should have you back on for this. Do you really you think you think there's you think the as that we say in wrestling you think the Astros still have heel heat? I think they have a little bit of heel heat left, more so than any other team in Major League Baseball. Yeah, and then I'm thinking again. I'm just thinking the rest of the AL. I mean, the Orioles. I, I you know Fox can make a really good marketing push. Like, hey, here's this incredibly exciting team. You want to check them out? No offense to the Rays, but no mm-hmm. one's watching that. The Astros, I may disagree with you, but at least that's an interesting thing. The Blue Jays have the big issue of like you lose an entire market if Toronto's in there. Um, The Twins are not a national team. Mm -hmm. And what about the Mariners? You know, I think Julio Rodriguez is becoming more of a household name. I think having him in in an ALCS or World Series would really give exposure to somebody like that. And he is an exciting player. He is a... Ron Lacuna type or Ron Lacuna yeah, life. Yeah, he is fun. And I would really like to see, you know, not at the expense of the Orioles, but I'd like to see him get some more national exposure because he is an exciting player for the sport. All right, well, I'm going to have you back on. I mean, you're going to be back on anyway, but I'll ha- I'm going to have you back on maybe leading into the World Series. And let's mm-hmm. let's ha- let's let's have let's continue let's this conversation. It. We'll do it, Richard. We'll do it live because we need because um, then we'll know who the teams are. Um I'm not even sure Manfred and company care. I mean, like, I think they got to figure out their regional <laughs> issues anyway with, you know, all the uh, sort of all the bankruptcies. No, and I think they need to do a better job of telling those local stories, telling that, like, the Rangers are leading all teams in oh, games I forgot about the on Rangers. their regional yes. sports network. Okay, they are going to be the top gaining team on a regional sports network this year. Yeah, they, got, they, they can hit. So at least they'll be a fun offensive team to... Uh, to watch. Yeah, listen, the one thing Manfred, Manfred did, he's got to live with this. He made a choice. They signed so many deals with so many different media rights holders that the playoffs are kind of tough to follow unless you have enough disposable income, 
where you get all those channels. Otherwise, um, you know, you may miss a game on MLB Network, right? You may miss a game on FS1. Um, but that was, Manfred made that call and they have to sort of uh, live with that. But I'm with you. I mean, that would be less of an issue, I think, if, if like the regional stories were told better. And let's say I'm like a fan, I'm a baseball fan who lives in Maine, and like I know a ton about like the Dodgers, or you yeah. know, or if I'm a fan baseball of health, in LA. baseball is healthy, healthier locally, and it's just well, like you, you said, yeah. it's tough. That you I talk agree. about media partners, that's just on the national level. Then you're talking about you know Valley Sports this, Valley Sports yes. that, Team Odarsen, and it, it, you want to you want to create more of an aggregate number on that local side to tell people that. Yeah, more people are watching baseball than almost anything else over the course of six months. The tonnage of people that are watching all of these regional sports networks night in and night out is a story that just needs to be told a little better. And viewers need to be reminded that baseball is strong at the local level. A hundred percent. It is a great inventory sport. And it's, I will say, like, you know, it's just awesome living in a city where there's a game every night. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, I happen to be in a city now where the team that I watch every night toronto like they're they're a contending team so obviously if i was in kansas city it's a different story but i'm with you it's just it's great inventory um every night to watch all right austin carp managing editor slash digital for sports business journal check out his work on that fine site check him out on twitter uh you know he's one of the uh you know he's one of the commissioners the mount rushmore's of this uh of too this kind. niche, You're far uh, too niche, kind, in, niche industry so follow him and again he's part of our uh a round table with uh, with Anthony Krupe, John Lewis, and Bill Shea, who will come on and give their viewership expertise. Want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey for their support. And uh, thank you for listening. I'm going to keep doing this just uh, as, uh, you know, at least over the next couple of weeks. You'll be sick of it, but I apologize. The 2023, the best sports writing, comes out October 3rd. That's a book I guest edited. Uh, featuring uh, just uh, nearly 30 of uh, the best pieces of sports writing in 2022. So if you like anthologies and if you like writing, check that out. You can get that on Amazon, etc. Austin, thank you very much. Patrick, thank you very much. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks for having me.